Hey, it's time for your favorite part of the podcast, the disclaimer. The views expressed in this show are blah, 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 blah. Anyways, what we really wanted to say was, if you really like the music in this episode, stick around until the very end and we'll tell you just how to get it. Now, here's the show. I had asked the Lord about the gift of music. I said, Lord, you have given me this gift, but I want you to use it the way that you want to. If this means that the gift of music will cause me to rebel, I want you to take it away from me. Mm-hmm. And so I prayed that. The next morning, I wake up. I can't move my right arm. I'm Dean Cullinate, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Pretty good, huh? That's because it's a piece played by today's guest, Owen Nanasi. Having received his bachelor's degree in religious studies, Owen went on to recently get a master's in leadership. But everyone that knows Owen knows him as a musician, and a pretty good one at that. At the age of 16, he dropped out of high school in order to focus on being a concert pianist. He then went on to study piano performance at the State University of Music and Performing Arts in his hometown of Stuttgart, Germany, as well as arranging and composing through Berklee College of Music, and has subsequently performed all over the world. In other words, he knows his stuff. And so, in this episode, we head into the story of David. Still a young man and not yet king, But whether David is shepherd boy or leading the entire nation, he's a musician. His music is recorded more than any other in all of the scriptures, psalm after psalm after psalm, showing us a man that throughout his entire life turns to music as an outlet to express his relationship with God. His music was, of course, eventually used in the temple for worship. It was sung by the people then, and it's sung by the people now. But what we find is a man whose joy was found in praising God. And that was the focus in his personal life. David had written some of these songs, and obviously he did not write them with the intent that they would be sung in a synagogue or in a temple, or in uh, different houses or families. He wrote them based on his experience. When uh, he was outside, he was writing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Mm. I mean, he was the shepherd, he didn't write it for other shepherds. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, not our shepherd. He was my shepherd. And so uh, that was uh, one example, but then there's others too, when he says, I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? My help, 
right? And it's not that he was so self-centered. It was right. that was his experience. His personal experience. And then later, when people had recalled these songs, they're man, these are so good. And people have been singing them, they have enjoyed them, and they felt represented by them. The Lord himself orchestrated that the scriptures would include his hymns or his psalms. And what I love about this is David isn't just singing. David's a musician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, David is, is, as you had once put it, he composes his own songs. All right. And there's, there's something, I think, about that. You know, It's one thing to be able to sing a song wonderfully to be able to tap into the arrangement and the harmonies and all everything that makes music so beautiful but it's something altogether different to be composing that yourself yeah you know i have um you know my brother and my sister-in-law um oh yeah they love to sing mm-hmm, you know they do. and they sing well but there's something about hearing them sing music that they've written regarding their own experience yes. that just touches you so much yes. more Yes, it does. And um, I think that is needed today. That's perhaps where some people are not as engaged in a public worship setting. They're singing the same thing over and yes, over and over. Yes. I mean, who's writing the new songs, the new hymns? Mm-hmm. And it almost seems that, you know, years ago when they had wanted to sing songs, typically they would use the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And then they said, well, why don't we have poems that are based on the Psalms, but also on our experience? And so they came up with hymns. And uh, when they started singing hymns, there was a great controversy. Those that were singing hymns were liberals. And so they had to make the point that it's okay to sing those hymns. And now, Things have changed. When you Mm. sing hymns, it's conservative. Mm. And yet what is needed is songs that express the experience of the people that are singing the song. And so, yes, you can take the song Amazing Grace and ask somebody to sing it. And uh, you may hear somebody sing it one way and another person, you know, add a little bit. But at some point, somebody came up with the song Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. And David was a person that came up with his own songs. And he also came up with his own instruments. Mm-hmm. So he was a creative, a creative person. He was a shepherd, later he was a king, but he was also a musician. After David is anointed as the, the future king, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 14, that the spirit of God left Saul and an evil spirit took its place. Mm-hmm. He was essentially... At least at times, he was possessed. Hmm. Now, the passage goes on to tell us that there were men who worked for Saul that somehow had heard David play the harp before. And I've always been intrigued by the fact that they believed that David could play for Saul hmm. and he'd be healed. Like, they, they actually believe this. Yeah. Today, we call this music therapy. And you've had some experience in this field, right? Yeah. Several years ago, I was asked to join a residential depression and anxiety recovery program. And so while there was no question in my mind whether music could affect the brain and the body, I had not realized the scope of its influence. Sure. So in the program, we utilized two elements of music cognition, listening to music and participating in group singing. Mm. This was a daily routine. We would sing in the mornings and the evenings prior to various talks on physical, mental, and spiritual health. So it must have been in the spring um, of that particular year. And in that program, the chaplain began leading the songs And it was an enjoyable time for the most part. Mm -hmm. I would play the piano and so people would be engaging. But there was this particular individual, whenever the music started, this person would either read a different book or even leave the room. And so the chaplain and I started discussing and we were wondering, how can we reach this person? How can they be so opposed to music? Mm. We wanted really everybody to be included. And so we were thinking about it and he came up with this idea of saying, hey, 
we haven't been singing Christmas songs. Now, this was springtime. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas songs? Now we had more people being opposed to singing. Right. But after we started singing the first song, people started engaging it. And even that particular individual we were so interested in recovering, mm. out of the sudden, starts picking up that songbook, looking at the verses, actually humming and singing it and enjoying it to the point of tearing up. Wow. The presentation is over. The person goes straight to the chaplain and says, now that, that was a good song. <laughs> and he said, what was so different you know, from all the other songs? Right. And he said, you know why? When we sang that song, it felt like I was seven years old. We were around mm. the Christmas tree and family was there and life was good. Mm. I want that back. It was situations like that that shaped my understanding of the influence of music. And, and we see just how powerful music is in the story of David and Saul. But we don't know much about the actual music. We know that he's playing the harp. But is it just classical music? Soothing music? It's interesting that the person that invited David to come, for them it was not just a question whether or not this music is going to be beautiful. Mm. They knew that a spirit had departed and now he seemed kind of possessed almost. Right. Some may say bipolar. So they knew that they needed some music that was not just beautiful, but spiritual, mm. worshipful. And when we read in the text, it doesn't really say that David used his voice singing. Right. It says that he used his hands. And as he was playing with his hands, it was so soothing that the evil spirit departed from Saul. And so the music that it could have been, you know, we can imagine how many strings would that harp may have had. Mm -hmm. Certainly it wasn't music that was loud because uh, he was playing it on this harp even to this day. A harp is not as loud that the person playing it would be, you know, hearing damaged um, or it would be too high or too mm -hmm. low that it could mm -hmm. be perceived as, as noise. But uh, it was certainly uplifting. So uplifting that whenever Saul would hear it, he would feel well. And um, it's interesting that uh, David was the person that was asked for this particular for, for this particular assignment. God had orchestrated it that he would be the person playing it. And he had to be he had, had to be very smart, realizing when it was needed to be played and when not. You know, later on, uh, King George in England, he also had read and heard of this story. And when he felt he was depressed, he asked his court musician, mm. who then happened to be uh, Georg Friedrich Handel, and uh, he asked him to compose music for him that he could listen to as he was on the water. And so now we have the water music. Mm. It was inspired by somebody else who was a king and who was depressed and had a musician. Wow. So he said, hey, you know, he had music. I want you to compose music. It better be uplifting. Mm -hmm. And we still play to this day, and it is uplifting. It's worth pointing out, though, that yes, David played the harp, and yes, Saul was healed, but there were times when David played the harp and Saul wasn't healed. I'm glad you bring that up. Just because we're listening to good music mm. does not mean that we're going to make good choices. Mm. Hitler was a vegetarian. <laughs> Did that mean that it helped him to make good choices? Right. You can uh, be vegan and still act like an animal. Hitler was a vegetarian. He was a vegetarian. And it was interesting <laughs> wow. that if you go into Hitler's story, uh, you will realize that he enjoyed listening to a particular kind of music. He wanted to make sure that what he listened to was intentional. And he listened to Wagner. And Wagner was a person that wrote anti-Semitic music. And uh, so it correlated with what he was about. In fact, if you look at any nation or country, the way that 
music will be played and also what kind of music is played demonstrates um, the education and often the purpose or the intent of a nation. Today, you know, often you only see that in soccer games, maybe the World Cup, where the music is being played before and then you mm -hmm. realize, okay, that's what they're all about. Right. Uh, but there's a lot of pride that comes into a song that mm -hmm. represents a nation or a country. And here in a court, um, we're talking about a king, we're talking about royalty. The music that was played had to be skillful, had to be excellent. He had this task of providing some music that would allow the king to sync his heartbeat with the music that he would be playing. And we call that the law of entrainment. Mm. In other words, if you expose yourself to a rhythm, your heartbeat will try to gradually synchronize to that rhythm. Regardless. Regardless. And so if the rhythm is um, irregular and irregular pattern, it's uh -huh. too slow, like esoteric music, your heartbeat is trying to kind of synchronize with that. If the music is too fast, like a techno beat, let's say, uh -huh. the heart is still trying to do that. And while there's nothing bad with rhythm, I mean, the heart has a rhythm in itself. Right, yeah. The heart tries to do that subconsciously. And when it does that repeatedly without having rest, it causes a stressor on the heart and that then increases anxiety and depression. So if I was to, throughout the, the entire day or the whole week even, listen to music that was out of sync with my heart, you're saying that that could actually have health repercussions. Yeah, and it does. And that's why people come to the residential programs for depression and anxiety, often thinking that it's only the diet or their sleeping patterns. But what we have found is, what do the people listen to? Because what fires together, wires together. And essentially, David was asked to play music that would synchronize Saul's heartbeat with God's heartbeat. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we return, we'll see how the one thing more important than David's musical talent was the spirit in which he played. Stay tuned, pun intended. You're listening to Why They Did That. We'd like to highlight one of our sponsors. Actually, uh, okay, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to record the advertisement right now. I'm yeah, just, I know, I like that part. Yeah, yeah so yeah, just, uh, how about, can I do it this time? Oh, you, you want to sit here as well? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, sure. Thank you. Wow. I'll just, um, I'll leave you to it. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Right, hey, so Christian, is this on? Yeah, it's on. Is this the, the one that makes your sound like really... Right, you your voice? Okay, great. Yeah. Do you lack original music at work, at church, or at home? The Bible says to sing unto the Lord a new song. And that's exactly the purpose of Sacred Sound Studio. Sacred Sound Studio is an online startup company that provides customized music products, masterclasses, and workshops for clients that value original compositions and arrangements. So if you are in need of original music, such as theme songs, hymns, scripture songs, or pleasant alarms, ringtones, jingles, or even customized film scores, Sacred Sound Studio will provide that for you. On that note, we'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to our newsletter under www.sacredsound.studio or send us an email at info at sacredsound.studio. Huh, I like that. No wonder he likes the advertisements. Music can have various effects on the mind, not just psychologically, but even spiritually, as we've seen in the case of David and Saul. But what was it about David that enabled him to be able to play in such a way? In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 18, 
were given a description of him by one of Saul's servants, and the verse reads like this. Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now we'll take a look at all of these little characteristics, but it's worth noting that when it mentions that David was a cunning player, it doesn't just mean that he was willing to play. It means that he was in fact, even for such a young lad, very skillful. You know, it's essential to have goodwill, but it's also essential to do it well. Mm. And uh, as a musician in particular, in this case, it is of uh, great importance that uh, we would perfect our craft. And uh, it's in line with the Bible that we would be the head and not the tail. David had uh, attained a certain mastery level mm -hmm. that was obvious to those that were serving the king. And so when they mentioned that, the first thing that they mentioned was, he is very skillful. It mm -hmm. was not just, well, he needs some music. Well, let's just find somebody who can play. Right. It's, let's find someone that's actually really good at doing this. And perhaps we may lose sight of that when we have uh, certain uh, worship settings. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a court setting. And mm -hmm. maybe there's something to be said about the Hebrew understanding that uh, when there was music or worship, worship was not necessarily a sacred thing. And then you went out and did things and they were secular. No, you worship God, whether mm -hmm. it was a wedding, mm -hmm. whether it was the harvest, whether it was parting, whether whatever it may have been, you still praise God. So David's faithfulness was not just found in looking after sheep, mm. but also in spending time with his craft. Yes. And so whatever he did, he did well. You know, sometimes my wife mentions this. She says, the reason why you're so good at doing things is because you only choose to do things you're good at. <laughs> Maybe there's some truth to that. You know, they say that leaders uh, are those that do a few things extremely well. Mm. And uh, that's the question. What do you do and uh, what can you do well and how can you perfect that? Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, some come up with this 10,000 hour rule and so forth. And there's probably some truth to that because we're creatures of habit and we get better at certain things mm -hmm. and uh, that will show. But it's only the first element that is mentioned. Right. It mentions that he is a mighty, valiant man, that he's also a man of war. It mentions that he's prudent. Um, it even mentions that he's handsome. You know, he's a good looking chap. Yeah. And, and for me, what this highlights, and I think this is important, is that David is more than a musician. Mm. He's much more than a musician. And I think that's what makes him such a good musician. Yes. So in other words, him being a musician is something that reflects who he is, but it's not all that he is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the beautiful thing is that when this is included, this entire list of things. Yes, he's a cunning player and all of these different things. It then includes something interesting by saying the Lord is with him. Yes. If there's anything that, you know, is important, mm -hmm. this thing is not to be missed. The Lord is with him. And that was very important in this scenario because the spirit, the good spirit had left Saul. And so he really needed the, the spirit of God. And so by bringing somebody who was connected with God, they had hoped that Saul would regain strength and positivity and hopefully also the spirit of God. And this reminds me um, of the introduction that we're given to um, a character called Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman is a Syrian. He's not a Christian. Um, but it says, now Naaman was captain of the host of the king of Syria. 
He was a great man with his master. He was honorable because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. It mentions all of these things. It mentions almost word for word with David that he was, you know, a mighty man in valor. But then it finishes this introduction to this character by saying, but he was a leper. Hmm. Leprosy was what defined Naaman. Naaman had all of these really good characteristics. Some, you know, would say that he, he would make a great Christian. Yeah. You know, great Old Testament Christian, but he was defined by his leprosy. David, on the other hand, was a very skillful player. He was a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent, handsome. But what defined David was that the Lord was with him. What does it mean though? I mean, it's, you know, we hear these kind of cliche catchphrases thrown around all the time. I know the Lord is with him. What does that mean? For David, he actually put it to song. It was so important to him that he said that he fears no evil for mm. thou art with me. Mm. And there is a modern hymn too that we know, take the name of Jesus with you. And practically speaking, the way that it relates to David's life, I can imagine that it meant that he wouldn't go where the Lord wouldn't go. Mm. He wouldn't do something the Lord wouldn't want to do with him. He wouldn't think of something the Lord would not want to take part of. David is not only a musician, he's a, a spirit-filled, godly young man. Yeah, David was not limited by being a shepherd or being a musician. He was willing to do whatever was needed. And in that case, it was needed to be music. You know, music has a great power to illustrate the things that are important in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. I, I'm reminded of this one song that had been written, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Mm. And I it's, love that a, hymn. it's a beautiful hymn. It's a very easy to learn, has a, has such a wonderful melody, and the lyrics are so profound. They're really describing the experience of the person that wrote the song. Because the person was 15, 16 years old and was. Really? Uh, yeah, it was very young, it was a teenager. And they had been invited to go to an evangelistic series. And uh, he himself was not a Christian. He actually went there to mock the preacher. And so wow. his friend invites him and says, come with me. He said, okay, I mean, I'll mock the preacher. That's fine. Just come. So, okay, I'll go. <laughs> I said, so I'll he, mock the preacher. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. He said, that's fine. I want you to come. Uh -huh. And um, he comes and he starts enjoying himself the first night. He says, this is great. Let's go to the other nights too. And so he wants, he, he goes to the entire series. Hmm. He enjoys it. He gives his life to the Lord. Wow. He becomes a barber. Everybody that comes in, he talks about Jesus to them. By the age of 23, he writes the lyrics to this hymn. Wow. And if you're acquainted with the hymn, it brings out how it says, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Hmm. And that was his personality. He was prone to wander. So much so that decades later, he actually found himself away from the flock. There he is in the train station and a lady is flipping through her hymnal and she's singing song after song the great hymns and then finally she sings come the fount of every blessing mm. and she looks to this gentleman she says oh sir isn't this a marvelous hymn to the one who wrote it yes and he says i'd give a thousand worlds today to have the same sentiment as back then when i wrote it mm. music is is powerful it's a gift it is a gift. It uh, indeed is a gift. It is not just a gift from anybody. It's mm. a gift of God. Yeah. And while it is a gift from God, just because we use spiritual gifts well, doesn't necessarily mean that we are spiritual people. You know, just because we can do it well, or we play well, or we sing well, this doesn't mean that we are with the Lord. It is true. It's another form of appearance. Mm -hmm. It may appear that they have it all together because they do it so well. So sometimes uh, those that are skillful at, uh, let's say, the art of music mm -hmm. may be so skillful that they can hide 
their real relationship with God. And it's important, I think, for Christians, a Christian musician or spiritual musicians, uh, to consider that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I remember this then when I was younger and uh, I was asked to play the piano at church. I was like 13, 14 years old. And I was like, man, I've attained. This is great. And by the way, you know, when, uh, when you are involved in music, mm-hmm. you often have access to leadership positions at an earlier age. Mm-hmm. You know, at church, you know, you may not be asked to do any type of reading or preaching, mm-hmm. but in music, often, you know, people say, well, this is a nice way to be, to right. be involved. Yeah. I think uh-huh. this is nice. Please use your instrument for the, yeah. for the Lord's glory. And uh, so they may do that. And, you know, I would play the piano and I still remember it, you know, there'd be uh, old grannies, I mean, sweet ladies. And they would let me know, Erwin, you play too loud. Erwin, you play too fast. I was like, what? I mean, they're not musicians. What can you tell me? Mm-hmm. And yet that attitude is the one that needed change mm-hmm. in my heart. Because the very things that they had mentioned, I was glad that they mentioned when I was in different congregations and they would end up telling me the same thing at times or wouldn't tell me anything. While then others may be back talking and say, well, you know, he's not really that great because he's not, you know, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And um, this also goes together with uh, another aspect that when uh, you are a professional in any type of setting, that um, having the openness to receiving... uh, uh, thoughts and commendations and recommendations by others, uh, even though they may not be uh, the same uh, experts in the same field, mm-hmm. may actually be something that will help you in your ministry. It's interesting because sometimes I feel like I have, you know, maybe something to say, but I don't because I'm like, well, I'm not a musician. Maybe mm. maybe they've done it really well. I mean, it didn't sound very good to me, but maybe they've done it really well, and I just I just don't know. So I'll just I'll I'll keep quiet. But that's exactly what the musician or the artist may need. Mm. And in my life, I've received some of the best counsel on music from people that are not themselves musicians. Mm. I can give you an example of a good friend of mine. He came to me and he said, "Erwin, I just want to share a verse with you." Mm. And I don't think he meant it in such a way as a reaction or you know right. something that I needed to hear. He was sharing. But at the same time, he was you know he was so passionate. He said, "Have you ever considered this verse?" I said, "Which one?" And he says, "Zephaniah three seventeen. Uh-huh. And I look it up. I read it, and he's like, "What do you mean?" And he says, "You know, Erwin, when you're playing the piano and when you're leading song service." Are you just hearing your voice or those that are listening to you and or singing with you? Or are you hearing the voice of God? Because the verse says, he's in the midst of you, mighty to save, and he will rejoice over you with singing. And, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, here I am playing the piano and here he is on his throne. And he's just waiting. He's like, ah, you made a mistake. Sorry, you, you can't make it. Or, well, you know, that was nice, but, you know, the angel in heaven... But then he gave me a picture of God that I hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. This is God the Father seeing, you know, his child praising him. And he's so excited that he himself joins you singing and Uh he joins you playing. And for me, that just puts me in so much awe because if I would be in heavens right now, I'd be happy to just roll the scroll for an angel playing. (laughs) But if I would be there and I would see God himself being so excited, starting to sing, and starting to play, is I would be quiet. I was like, this is the voice of God. And uh, that, that, I think, helped me to see that if somebody is spiritual, now I proactively approach people like that and say, what do you think I can learn as a musician? Mm-hmm. Do you have some thoughts here? Do you have some Even thoughts? if they're not a musician. Even if they're not a musician, because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I wish that people would have helped me recognize that yeah. in my younger years. And even now, I'm still happy. When people come to me before worship hours 
And they come to me and say, are you right with the Lord? Mm. That's the question that I need to hear. And this is, of course, not just the case for musicians. Oh, no. It's for, for artists, anybody that would be involved in, in the public worship. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, also in private worship at home. Yeah. The question is, are you right with the Lord? And I think that's what makes it so powerful when the writer says that the Lord was with him. The Lord was yeah. with him throughout the week. So the hands that he would be using, you know, during the week, they did not do things that were unholy so that when he would use them for something holy on the worship hour, that uh, there was a discrepancy or the mouth that would speak, you know, evil things out of the sudden, you know, would speak holy things. Yeah. It was consistent. And I think there'll be some listening to this saying, okay, well, you know what? Maybe my spiritual life isn't where it should be right now. Um, but the weekend is coming. My name is on the bulletin. I'm going to be leading praise and worship. What should I do? Should I just tell them that I can't make it? And I guess I would say, yeah, it's important that we take time to find the Lord personally before we go and share him with others. You know, if someone had come to me and, you know, Dean, you're, you're preaching this Sabbath, have you been walking with the Lord this week? And I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying, okay, have you fallen? Mm. Because we fall, mm-hmm. you know, we fall sometimes, but are you with the Lord? Yes. And if you're not, we can get someone else to preach. You, you can take some time, find Christ again, you know, confess whatever it is that's, that's between you guys. If you don't want to do that right now, take the time to find him before you go to share him. And I think this is an aspect that is important for those that are in leadership position, mm. that the appeal would be made to those that are in the team saying, if you're not right with the Lord, this is the time, let's consecrate ourselves. And create an environment where people can come and say, you know what? I'm not right with the Amen. Lord. Amen. Yes. Help me out here. Yes. Are you right? With, if you're right with the Lord, help me get right with the Lord. And open it up in such a way that, you know, the person can come, like mm-hmm. you said, and can say, you know what? I actually, I'd feel more comfortable if somebody else would do this, because I want to be right with the Lord completely. And for me, that's a, that's a much greater offering. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the offering of the heart. Yeah. That's the offering of the heart. It's like this example of the young boy that comes to the church for the first time and they're collecting the offering and uh, he's noticing he has no offering. So he goes to the deacon. He's wanting to help, you know, collect the offering with the deacon. He feels mm. like that's still not enough. And so at the end, he takes that offering plate, he puts it on the floor and he steps in it. That's what he did. He's like, I want to give my all. That's what it is. And sometimes I feel like when people have extraordinary skill, the gift of speech, money, time, music, that we feel like it's so natural that you can use it for the Lord that we never actually surrender it. What if the Lord wants to take that what almost is common to us and say, you know, I actually want somebody else to to be worshiping in, in the worship setting. You know, just because I play the piano during the week doesn't mean that he actually wants me to do it on the Sabbath. The story progresses to the point where David is called into the court. And in verse 21 of chapter 16, the Bible reads, and David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly. David is a musician But he comes into the presence of the king in the palace. And before he even has the opportunity to play, the Bible says that Saul falls in love with this kid. It's one thing to be able to play excellently for the king or in a prestigious setting and for them to love what they heard. But before David's character is even expressed through his music, 
there is something that commends David to Saul, where Saul responds by saying, I want this guy to be my armor bearer. Now, this relationship unfortunately takes a few sour turns. By the time we're in 1 Samuel 19, just three chapters later, David is still playing in the court for Saul, except Saul has grown envious of David's increased popularity in the kingdom and is in fact intending to kill him. He has a spear in his hand. And the passage simply says that knowing his life was in danger, David just played the harp for Saul. And it says that he's playing the, playing the harp in such a way how he played it before. He does not change. And this, this, this is amazing. My bubble. There's a, <laughs> this man does not appreciate David's music. Ooh. He, Hit the he, spot. Do, he doesn't appreciate David even. Hit the spot. I don't like you. I don't like your music. I don't have to listen to what you're going to say <laughs> or what you're going to play. You know, I'm not going to pay you for your services. Like... I'm, I'm going to take your life. And David's there playing. And that speaks to me, you know, more than, more than a musical piece. The fact that he's willing to, to continue to serve, not the king, but God in the work that he's asked him to do. He's going to continue to do that even amidst this rejection. And it seems that David, even though his life was endangered, he felt like God had called him to do this. And so he did it well. Although... It was not appreciated, as you said. And that seems to be something very difficult for mm. a musician or an artist in general. And he wasn't just playing when the people were there to appreciate his music. Yes. He was also willing to play when the people weren't appreciative, you know? And for me, I'm like, okay, you know, when it comes to days of fellowship, when it comes to these great events and, you know, where there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of people waiting to hear, you know, what, what you've been you know, practicing for months, it's easy to perform then. What about Wednesday night? What about prayer meeting? What about when someone asks if you can come and do their prayer meeting at their 15 member church on a Wednesday night? Are you there? Yeah. Is your attitude so that you can play even in front of the smallest crowd, the most unappreciative crowd, the most unmusical crowd, or are you just there playing because, you know, you've got a gift? And, and many people need to hear it. You need the praise, you need the adulation. Yeah. I think it also exemplifies that if you have an audience that may include one, one person or a thousand people, if your audience is only the visible audience and not the Lord God, mm. you may be affected by anything that will happen. But if the Lord is the one that you're playing for and playing to, then you won't be affected. Before I was born, my father had prayed for a firstborn son. I'd be the firstborn son of his family, but also the firstborn grandson. And uh, he was praying that uh, his son would become a concert pianist. That was his prayer. And uh, he would name his son Erwin. And Erwin means, you know, leader of hosts or good friend. And uh, it seems that that was his desire and the Lord responded to his desire and uh, it feels like I'm the fulfillment of his desire. And so there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Right. And sometimes I understood that responsibility and sometimes I wanted to do my own thing. But from an early age, I was introduced to music and uh, music became a ministry. At some point, 
When I was about 19 years old, a missionary had come and he invited me to spend some time in the Arctic. How I got there is a you know, story. In the Arctic. Our, yeah, in the Arctic Circle. Right. So this is the Arctic Circle belonging to Canada and Nunavut and Igloolik to be exact. And there I was and I spent some time there. And as I spent some time there, a missionary had given me a Bible. Hmm. And I had decided that I wanted to read through the entire Bible from the beginning to the end. I said, I'm a Christian, I have to read through the entire Bible. And when I got to the story of Saul and the story of David, I realized something. I realized that God had chosen Saul to be the first king. Hmm. He had all the things that were necessary for him to be a good king. Mm -hmm. But the choices he had made, the rebellion and the disobedience led him to be a king that was rejected. So I looked at my life and I said, wow, I have so many talents. But if I'm not obedient, if I'm not, you know, faithful in what the Lord has given me, I'll have the same experience. And then I looked at the contrasting story of David. I said, that's who I want to be. That's that. That's what I want. He, you know, he's a musician. I'm a musician. But I like sheep. He likes sheep. <laughs> what? Yeah. But it certainly showed me that I needed help. Hmm. And so for the first time in my life, I had asked the Lord about the gift of music. I said, Lord, you have given me this gift, but I want you to use it the way that you want to. If this means that the gift of music will cause me to rebel, I want you to take it away from me. Mm-hmm. And so I prayed that. The next morning, I wake up, I can't move my right arm. I can simply not move my right arm. I mean, you're commanding your arm to move, it's not moving. I picked it up with my left hand, I threw it against the wall, I couldn't even feel that. Did, did you wait a little bit sometimes, you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> did, it, did it fall asleep? 15 minutes, 20 minutes, nothing happens. I start crying. For most of my life, I've, um, I've practiced, I went to so many competitions, I won them, I was sure this is the gift that God had given me. And here I was in the Arctic Circle without a piano, and I'm questioning whether that was really so. And so I'm realizing I can't move my arm, and I say to the Lord, Lord, um, is this the only way you can show me that this is the gift that may you know, cause me to stumble and rebel? And so in that moment, I made this choice and I said, Lord, if you want me to only have the left arm to be used, show me something to do. But if you give me the ability to move my right arm again, I will only use these hands for you. Hmm. He can give the gift of music to anyone, but he chose to give it to me. And so it's my choice to be faithful to him. That's what made a difference. It made a difference in my life. Ever after, I did not seek to only do music or play or perform or write. I thought music should be a medium to communicate something that is much greater. And so my appeal to other musicians or other artists, whatever your talent may be, some of the talents may be, you know, natural, but for others it may seem like you have a supernatural gift. Have you consecrated that gift? Have you surrendered that gift? When you do, there'll be a peace that will come to mind that will surpass all understanding. And you will have the happiness that you can experience only when you are with God. As David said, for thou art with me. There's a song that expresses this nicely from Psalms chapter 63. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. 
I will praise thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and praise you. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I will lift up my hands. In your name, Psalm sixty-three, three and four. Psalm sixty-three, three and four. Whether you have already discovered the gifts God gave you or not, the question remains the same: Will you take the glory because you received the talent, or will you bring glory to the one that gave it to you? David chose to honor God with his whole heart, and the motivation of his heart formed his art. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. Uh, please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Why They Did That. And this show was produced and edited by Christian Freed. Finally, we want to thank Weimar Institute, the media department, and especially Teresa Costello for help making this possible. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane. And you're listening to Why They Did That. So a lot of the music featured in this episode was actually created by Irwin. And so we've put download links to all of the originals on our website. Just head on over to whythedidthat.org and click on the link to episode three, Heart Music.